Welcome to Consider Yourself Hugged. I'm Tammy. I'm Michelle. I'm Gracie. And a hug is a gesture intended to convey a sense of care and support, safety, intimacy, and affection. And even though we can't wrap our arms around you, we want you to consider yourself hugged. Welcome back. If you're watching, you notice it's just me again. If you're listening, you probably wouldn't know for just a bit, but I'm telling you, it's just me again. We are having some scheduling issues uh, together. We're kind of working through. So gosh, life gets busy. So I hope you guys don't get bored just hearing me a couple of weeks in a row, but I didn't want to put this off because last week I shared with you the Publix commercial. And if you have not watched that yet, just hit pause real quick, go to the show notes, click on that link and go watch that Publix commercial and maybe just have a listen or a read to some of the things I talked about last week. It was pretty short last week, like 15, 20 minutes. And, and I wanted to follow up today talking about blended families. This could be, gosh, we could do this, a, a blended family thing forever, um, but we won't. We'll just do this one for today and then maybe later we'll revisit it. I did share last time, and if you followed me for any length of time, anywhere, social media, speaking engagements, whatever, you know a little bit about my story. Now, also, I want to tell you, um, Gracie and Michelle are going to send me like some of their blended family tips because they are also both in blended families. And so we all have some advice to give. We all have some challenges, some successes, some failures, some tips, all of those things. I do want to go a little bit deeper about my story. I told you last time that Tim and I blended eight children in 2003 when we married. So we've been married 20 years, like 20 years. Like we're getting to the point now where we have forgotten things or we can say, oh my gosh, remember when? And then the other one has to take a minute. And like, we have history now, like we have more wrinkles and gray hair, which by the way, in case I haven't mentioned, I am going to start doing the blending because I have such dark hair that it's just crazy. And that is absolutely way out of the scope of what we're talking about today. Although I guess in a way it's not because when we look at our pictures, when we first met, like I had jet black hair and 20 years changes things, right? Well, we met like, tw like 22 years ago. So we met at church and it was really funny because I was in a singles group for five years and those people were my family when I was single. No, we did everything together. We, we vacationed together. We had parties together. We had Bible studies together. We met for lunch after church. They knew my kids. I mean, it was a really special time for me. And then Tim came to the group and we met there and we became friends and then we started dating and I guess it was about a year and a half later when we got married. So I have three biological children who are now 30, hang on a minute, 31, 33, and 35, I think, because they're not always two years apart. It depends on what month of the year that we're in. So yeah, basically. Tim has one biological son who's, I think, 39. It's so hard to keep up with ages now. And then he adopted, before I met him, 
he adopted four of his sister's six children, which is such a sweet story. And I think I mentioned last time, I may have already told you this last time, I don't know, but at some point, I hope to share a little bit more about that. So here we were, we met and our kids were all at that point in elementary school, middle school, high school, I think is where they were. And they had so much fun together, right? I mean, we, we spent time together like during the week, sometimes on the weekday. I mean, after a while, after we, you know, dated for a bit and met each other's kids. And so our kids were basically like, some of our kids were exactly the same age. So they hung out together. When we would come to each other's houses, it would be chaos. We would cook and it would always be the memories. These kids will probably tell you food is it was always like spaghetti, beans and ham, you know, pizza. It was things that you could make for, I mean, we at least usually had eight or nine of us together and it was so much fun and we enjoyed it. We actually went to Disney world, um, the year before we got married, we all went to Disney world. We have such great, in fact, I'll post a picture there of Michael is my youngest. So he was the youngest of the whole group. And he was eight when we met. So probably eight or nine when we went to Disney world and he was, he's always not been a, like a super big kid. And so they all picked him up and you know, just memories. That's when the memory started. So we dated and then we got married in May of 2003 and the kids were so excited, right? We bought this house in Gallatin, Tennessee on the lake because we wanted to have a house where we blended everybody. So it was kind of a fixer upper, but it was on the lake and it had enough room for everybody. The girls, now I say enough room, there had to be sharing. I mean, when you have that many kids, you, unless you just are wealthy or something, I don't know. It's hard to buy a house where everyone has their own rooms. So the girls, Lindsay's mine, Mindy was one of the adopted kids and they're two years, a year and a half apart. So they were so close. So they shared a room and then a couple of the boys shared a room and you know what? I don't even remember, but they were all just like super excited because we'd spent all this time together. And then we're blended. We're married. And things changed. The girls sharing a room. Oh my gosh. The fighting. And you know what? Like at that time, it was hard to see it this way. But looking back, we all look back and laugh about it a bit because even like biological sisters sharing a room are going to fight. The difficult part was Tim. Okay. So Tim had this one child on purpose who was 16 years old, I think, when he adopted the kids. And so he went from having one child in the house to having five. And then, and he had only had a son, right? No girls. And then he met me and got three. So he went from one to eight in just a few years, but he had never had girls. So they were fighting and he would not handle it well. And then they would cry. And then I wouldn't understand. And the boys were just like pigs. And I was teaching all day. So I had teenagers all day and adolescent tweens, teens all night. Tim was working all day. We would come home at the end of the day. And it was different than when you're dating because you spend time together, a lot of time together, but then you go, you go to your own places and you are not parenting each other's children. So the honeymoon is over kind of thing. And so 
and I'm not saying it was all bad. In fact, I have a hard time with memories. And so there, I'm sure there are a lot of things that I forgot, but I think after 20 years, there are some things that I've learned. And so I figured I would pass those along. And I was, as I was thinking about how I wanted to share these things, I did some looking up, I did some research and I read a bunch of things and I read books. And if I can remember any of those books that were helpful before this post, I'll put them in the show notes. But I found an article from, um, it's called the Gottman Institute, and it's a foundation and institute that does research on relationships and families. And I will put the link to this in the show notes. But I, I felt like this laid it out in a way that I could really relate to. And so I thought you might be able to as well. So I'm going to read a little bit of background. And then there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seven tips. And I, I, I really feel like I can relate and share some stories with you about how this impacted me and how I changed and got through it and how I messed up and how I didn't mess up and all those things. But last time I told you, you can find a statistic that varies. Now this one, this Gottman research says that over recent statistics show that over 60% of second marriages fail. I think last time I may have even shared one with you that was like 70%. And that can feel so ominous. You know, and I won't say that there weren't times when I'm sure both Tim and I thought, are we going to make it through this? Because the struggles that hit people, like all of the things when you think of in any marriage hit us from time to time. So we had some financial devastation a couple times in our marriage, um, we had multiple moves, we had career changes. And of course, having all those children, it was a lot of children. We had the work-life balance thing. I mean, all of the things that can affect any family for sure affected us. So when you think about failure rates, uh, we could have been a statistic, but so far, so good. Let's go through these tips to help guide us and navigate those of us who are in a blended family. Blended family can mean many things. Um, I won't share anything about Michelle and Gracie's story. Whatever it is they want to say, I will put that in the show notes. Here we go. The first one is to set realistic expectations. They're like, well, duh, of course. You know, one of the things it talks about is when you first get married, and I mentioned this a little bit with my story, the, the parents are caught up in, you know, the love that they feel and being, and I underline this, this having a sense of family once again, you know, I never wanted to be a divorced mother. I didn't. And that's a whole nother story. We really should do a thing on divorce, but I, I never wanted to be a divorced parent, a divorced woman. I like being married. I like having that partner. I like as doing life with someone. And I remember during my divorce, like, especially around the holidays and in the evenings when it was dark a little earlier and I would still be out doing things. And as I would drive, I would see in people's windows, like the lights in the kitchen and the dining room and people eating. Okay. Listen, I wasn't creepy. I wasn't like staring at people's windows, but you just notice, you know, if you have something that's weighing on you, you tend to notice things in that direction. And so I would just notice, or even if I just saw lights, I thought, gosh, that might be a family in there. 
having a meal together. And I wanted that. And so you can get caught up in, as it says here, having a sense of family once again. And you can forget that there are things that you need to, it's not always going to be, oh, we're going to be sitting around the table. Just actually, even just like when we dated, having fun and laughing and eating spaghetti, because that was outside of the scope, basically, of a family. We were not a family yet. So being realistic about those expectations that things like finances and even the other parent, you know, the the ex-spouse, all of those things, if you set realistic expectations, you're less likely to be disappointed. So if I kept that that beautiful view that it was always going to be that way, listen, I'm not saying I'm not saying to lose hope and not be positive. I just mean it's not realistic to expect that you're never going to have any problems. And sometimes, and I would do this when we would have a problem, I would be fearful, like, oh no, oh no, there's not total love. And also it's partly about the way you were raised. So I was raised where we really didn't, no one got mad, no one said anything bad about anyone else. And apparently I passed that on to my children a little bit. But so if something was wrong, then it felt devastating, but that's just not the case. So allow yourself to know that things will not always be perfect. That's number one. The second one, communication is the key. And I underlined a lot of things here. Conflict is inevitable. Um, I want to point, I want to mention this one because if you, if you download the article and read it, I don't know how I feel about this. It says Gottman's research found that 69% of conflict is unsolvable. There is no magic cure to eradicate the inevitable. Instead, couples should seek to manage conflict with empathy, compassion, and understanding. I don't really know what that means. Okay, so it could mean, for example, when we talk about communication, it could be that Tim and I were never going to agree exactly on the way that the children should be raised. You know, how much, uh, how do we feel about discipline? So it might be that. And so conflict in my mind means two people don't see things the same way. So it's absolutely inevitable. I've talked before about Jean Baker Miller's book. It's called A New Psychology for Women. And, and she talks about the new way to view conflict. Now she wrote it in the 70s. But the new way to, to view conflict, she said, was to look at it as a way to grow, you know, it, and, and typically we view conflict as being an argument or a fight, but that's often what happens when we avoid talking about the thing that we disagree on. And that is for sure what I did because there are sensitive topics, even more so in a blended family, like for any family, for any marriage, money could be a sensitive topic. Um, in a blended family, that can be heightened depending on whether you combine your finances or you keep them separate. Do we agree on what should be spent on the children? What about when they graduate? Okay, not, not just money, but these are things like we had premarital counseling at our church. Nice, nice guy. He was the youth or the uh, the singles pastor. We had a singles pastor at the time. He was like 26, never been married. So of course, never been divorced or been in a blended family. I'm not saying that someone has to have that experience to give good advice, but 
there never was the question about how do you all feel about when your children graduate? What are the expectations? Can they continue to live at home? If they go to college, can they come home during the breaks? Um, do Are you paying for college? What about grandchildren? These are conversations you don't often have when you're marrying for the first time. But when you're marrying and blending a family, then it's important. And those are things we did not talk about. And they definitely led to some conflict. So one of the things I talk about, if you've never heard of this before, there's a link to it in the article. And it's what's called as the, it's known as the four horsemen that can happen during disagreements. And these are negative things and things you want to avoid. They are, remember during a disagreement, and right now we're talking about with your spouse or significant other, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. So when you're trying to resolve a disagreement, you're trying to communicate, criticizing the other person will shut them down, showing contempt, which is sort of related to, you know, I can't stand you, is definitely not going to work. Defensiveness, which means when the other person says something to you and you say, I did not, I didn't do that. And then stonewalling. Stonewalling is my personal favorite. Defensiveness as well, I not criticism, criticism and contempt. Although my face can sometimes show contempt, stonewalling means shutting down. And I would do that. I remember one time, I think it was our first year married. I don't remember. We went because we went to Disney every year for for quite a time. Can you? And our honeymoon actually was putting all those kids. We rented one of those big fifteen passenger vans, and we all went to Disney World. Um, but it, so I think it was our first year and I got mad about something that Tim did and I shut down and I left. We were at a, at a resort, a timeshare, and I started walking. I was so mad. I just left. And finally I'd been gone for a long time. I was in flip-flops. It was super hot. And he did finally come and get me, but I was shut down. One of the things I learned when I started teaching business seminars is this conversational tool called fur. So I'm going to give you an example. Tim would, he would hear me talk about it because it came out of a book that I used to sell during these business seminars I used to do. And he would say, do you do that to me? No, I don't do that to you. But all it means is, I mean, of course I said, yes. So really I look at that as a question of, do you mean, do I think about what I'm going to say before I talk to you and try to make it something that won't be critical, contemptuous defensiveness or stonewalling you? Yes, I do. So it stands for the F, I'll put this in show notes, stands for stating the facts. The I stands for what is the impact. The first R stands for show, saying a statement of respect. And the second R is a request. So let's say one of my triggers as a parent, even, even in my first marriage with with their biological dad would be yelling at my children, especially my, my biological oldest, you know, he's very sensitive. And so that would just hurt my heart. And there was a time when I saw Tim yelling at my oldest son. Now, I don't know if I said this at the time, I probably didn't, but let me show you how this would go. I'm going to say it and then we'll break it down real quick. And I'm going to hold up my fingers, but obviously you don't do that when you're talking to someone. We're going to use I statements and we're going, okay. When I saw you upset with Jamie, 
I got anxious because my mind just trails to places and, and my heart is hurt. You have told me you want to be an involved stepdad. And I appreciate how hard you try. When you feel really upset with him like that and start to yell, would you come to me first so we can talk about it and parent together? Now, let me let me go through that. Facts means saying something like when you got mad at Jamie, when you, that's not a fact because getting mad is something you feel inside. It's an emotion. And so I might even say when I saw you raise your voice, when I saw, when I heard, when I noticed, it's less likely to stop you. So anything that's an assumption, leave that out. Impact. Try to use an impact that you think the other person will hear. And by that, I don't mean manipulative, but you're trying to have a conversation to make the other person understand. And don't lie. So saying to him, like, Tim was always concerned about me and my emotions. And I knew that he wouldn't want my heart to hurt. So saying to him, it makes me anxious and my mind just goes crazy and I feel very worried. My heart hurts. That's a real impact. The respect statement needs to be something, again, that's real, but not you're a great dad or you're a great whatever. You've you've told me you want to be an involved step parent. And I love that. That's respect statement. And the request needs to be something. I mean, I can't a request of please don't yell at him again. Ooh, it's a difficult thing. But saying when you feel like you're might, you might yell, can you come to me so we can do this together? Now, what happens from there? You know, you just, well, we'll go a little bit further in some ways that might help you prepare for that. But you can sort of think of how that person might respond and be ready. But just try to remember those contempt, um, criticism, contempt, um, stonewalling, and what was the other one? I forgot, defensiveness. Be aware of those things in you. That's the first two. The third comes directly from what I just said, parent together, not separately. This is so hard. I think more, again, it depends partly on how your parent you were parented, but also it's hard because typically, you know, I'm not saying always, men and women have different parenting styles. And so loyalty to your own children can be fierce. I don't know if it's okay to say, especially for a mom, because dad's true, but there's this like biological thing when it comes to moms. And I am fiercely defensive of my children, fiercely defensive of my children. And so this can take time. And I'm not saying, I'm not actually going to give you specific advice on how to do this. For some, for some partnerships, there is sort of a, like a, They've made a decision on parenting separately and it works for them. For you, it could be, you know, having a family meeting and talking about, you know, this other parent is going to be parenting you and how that's going to look. It needs to be talked about and it needs to be decided because if not, it's going to lead to the type of conflict that can escalate into an argument. So parent together in whatever way that means to you. Fourth, 
create your own unique family system. I'm going to read this to you because I thought it was fabulous. It says, one way to think of the difference between blended and nuclear families is that blended families are like a crockpot meal, while nuclear families are like a quick skillet saute. Purely biological families are seared together with a fierce devotion and love quickly, right? Yet stem, step families stew slowly, taking time to bond and be unshakable. Their research, um, this Gottman article talks about the research shows that it can take several years to feel that way in a blended family. I'm going to say it can take many years. We saw this in the Publix commercial, right? We saw, make sure you've watched it. We saw Grace just saying, thanks, um, Chris. Thanks, Chris. And we saw her hugging her mother once and Chris was standing to the side we saw all these different things. And even though it looked like they had a great relationship, it wasn't until we saw her at her wedding saying, thanks, dad. Again, that doesn't happen in every family. You know, there's a whole, many things that can factor in whether you call the other parent, mom, dad, or their name. It takes time. I can't tell you how many years it took, but I can tell you now that we are a family. The children are all grown and gone. And we did one of the things that talks about doing is creating your own unique rituals. And we did that like we would go to Disney every year. That's been a huge part of our memories we formed together. We also took individual trips with the kids so that we could bond with them separately. Um, we had holiday traditions that we did just together as us. Um, actually, the pandemic even led to more sort of closeness and bonding. So there, there are things to do, but think of your family and talk about it this way as being like a crock pot. I thought that was beautiful. That was one, two, three, four, five. Stay connected to your partner. We did that really well. We did have date nights. We would even take some short weekend trips together. We did spend time together and, and enjoy our time together. That can be hard depending on the age of your children, Ours were already old enough where, you know, we could go out, out and not have to worry about getting a sitter. Now, the disconnect sometimes came when we avoided arguments or conflict, when I would stonewall and not have conversations. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. There were times early in our marriage where we would go for a day without talking. I just didn't have the skills. Now, you you may know my history with anxiety disorder. And even though that was in 1995 and I did a lot of healing and growing, I still never learned how to communicate, manage conflict, speak up, talk about things until I started training for seminar companies. And I started reading all these books about how to do it. And I'm still a work in progress. But early on, mm, first year or two, I don't think Tim was super equipped either. We'd never been in a blended family. He only had one child and then he had eight. It was a lot. So do what you can to stay connected. Number six, practice patience and understanding. Um, frustration's gonna come in. You know, one of the things it talks about here, because it's not just about you and your partner, it's about your children and how they respond to you. And so I love this. Did your stepkids tease you for winning during a family game? Tease them back and keep it lighthearted. Did your partner lighthearted? Did your partner go against your wishes on discipline? 
talk it through honestly, calmly, and respectfully. With every slip up or misunderstanding, keep in mind that you are both on the same team. And I remember, I this is a little bit out of the scope of this, but there would be times when Tim would take the kid's side. And even though that might, I don't know, that might've been, you know, seeing not on the same team, but for me, that was a sweet time that he was loving them and taking their side, even though it went against me. I'm just telling you from my perspective, seeing a man love my children made me love him so much more. You know, when we had this conversation about allow, allowing each other, this kind of goes back to parenting together, not separately, but this is the part where I wanted to talk about this is we eventually got to the point where we talked about, I would say, you have to let me be a woman in the way that I would feel and express emotions when it comes to my children. And I know I need to allow you to be a man. And these are stereotypical things I realize. but for this, for our family, this is the way it was. I need to allow you to be a man and feel the things that you feel and speak up when you need to speak up. He told me from time to time that their dad could be upset with them and I would allow it, but that he couldn't. And you know what? Beginning in the beginning, that's true because it took time. Even though I didn't like it when their biological dad was upset with them, I told you I didn't, but there was this level of trust that he had been their dad for 10 years, however long. And with Tim, it takes time to build that trust. It's it's the crock pot, right? Now, I trust fully that he's committed. And that's why the last one is really important. Stay the course and don't give up. You know, your mind can play tricks on you and tell you that if, especially if you have a tendency to be anxious or worry, that it's not going to work and it's not going to happen. And I know, according to the research, 60 to 70% of the time, it fails, Maybe if we have some tips and ideas or you find a mentor or you look at, at others who have done it before you, maybe you can stay the course and not give up. Listen, get the help that you need. Reach out to resources. Get And I did get counseling, by the way. And I remember telling my counselor, well, he got upset about blah, blah, blah. And he told them, blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, so you mean he stepped in and took care of things where you are weak in that area and speaking up to your children? <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> but you see what I mean? Get outside perspectives. Decide what you can or will and won't tolerate. Practice language, learn language, grow as a person. So it's been 20 years, right? And it's been interesting, you know, with you know the adopted kids and my kids and Tim's biological kids, and there's been all sorts of things that have happened. But I do remember two things that have just really touched me. One of the adopted kids was telling me a few months ago that there was a time when she would watch television and she would watch these families that were just perfect and she wanted that. And she felt like she never had that. And then she said she sat down. She has two children children now. And she told me she was watching our old Disney videos. And she said she realized that even though we weren't perfect, that we are a family and we did special things and we do love each other. And then my son, 
and my oldest son, he thanked me. This has been several years ago. He thanked me for having this big blended family. You know, not many people have like eight children and now that's nine grandchildren. And even though we may not all see each other and we're not actually, there's a few we haven't seen in a while, but we're still a family. And when he thanked me for that, even through the difficult times, it just really touched me. I want to do better. Like even though they're grown, I want to do better and I will continue to try to do better. But I hope you'll remember this, whether you are a child in a blended family, a parent in a blended family, whether you were parented in a blended family and now you're grown. I, I, I realized this from my own parents, even though we didn't have a blended family, but my parents did divorce. We are all doing the best that we can with the knowledge we have, the skills that we have, the abilities that we have. We can all grow, but let's show each other some grace, some love, and just keep pushing. And by pushing, I don't mean that in a bad way, but just keep growing as a person and just keep loving that blended family that you have. That's it today, friends. It was just me. I hope it was helpful. As I always ask you to please keep subscribing and downloading and rating and reviewing wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, leave us some comments on the show notes or on Facebook. If you are a woman and you aren't part of our Facebook group, the link is there. That's our private where we can talk about things that don't become public. All of our contact information, Gracie, Michelle, me, it's all in the show notes. So Hang with us. I'm so thrilled that you're here. And by the way, we will be finishing up this season in October. And until we're together next time, consider yourself hugged.